catch a, a little bit on Picard. I think I'm still two episodes behind. Oh, good. God, the last, took, the last two episodes have just been phenomenal. I took a Cinequest fast. Okay. Like for two nights, I just watched Ultraman, Bojack Horseman, and Picard. <laughs> so, but, you know, so, hopefully, all's well. And that's why their feet. No, I'm not going uh-huh. to do that. I'm not going to do that. Actually, are you watching? Are you watching Zoe's? Um... I watched the pilot. My friend Glenn's wife was in that. Yeah, and it was in the pilot. And uh, I, think... I didn't realize that, that that like they they leaked the pilot like a month ahead of time. Yeah. So now that the time has just come back. Uh, yeah, I, I I thought it was good. I, I like I like the entire cast. I just haven't had it. You know. I know. It's. It's therapeutic. I mean, it, it's the make great you, thing about Hulu. It will make you feel better about lots of stuff. It'll be there. It'll be there in perpetuity. Yeah, and we'll talk about that later. So, hey, this is Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and welcome to the podcast. Producing this and running the board—is it silvery? Is it shiny? Have you kept it clean? I'm Rick Brett Snyder. So yeah, we just to make our schedules work. It has been a heck of a of a crazy week. Um, here we are. So we are post Cinequest with uh, we're, we're going to be starting a series of podcasts with interviews with people from Cinequest. And uh, today uh, will be uh, very cool. Before we get into that, I do want to talk, of course, about uh, if we talk about anything on this podcast, because we're going to have comics news, movie news, TV news, anything on this podcast that we talk about that you can legally own for yourself and you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store. We do encourage you. We are affiliated with Amazon, and each and every page on fanboyplanet.com has an Amazon search box with suggested items on the side, but also sometimes... We do have direct links to items we talk about. And again, if you cannot find it at your local brick-and-mortar store, we do encourage, uh, especially in the realm of comics and games, uh, that uh, you go through through the Amazon and we get a small kickback from that. A little percentage uh, comes back to us. Can re- it can generate revenue. And if you would like to just help uh, support the and defray the cost of running of the blog and the podcast, you can go to PayPal and donate at editor at fanboyplanet.com. As well, if you would like to join the conversation, if you've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com via email, or you can join the conversation by following us on Facebook at fanboyplanet. That's our page. You can also follow us on Twitter at fanboyplanet and Instagram at fanboyplanet. 
Is there anything else? Do we have any other social media that I'm I'm just not aware of at the moment? Oh, I, I think the ones that have gone under. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We were at Google for a while, uh, Google Plus, but also, of course, each and every page we do have we do have comment sections. So I just uh, saw one come up last week for uh, for a movie review from Cinequest. So uh, you know, if you want to join the conversation that way, we do try to engage through that as well. So, uh, as I said, we do have comics news, movie news, TV news, but we also have said a lot of interviews from Cinequest. Always one of my favorite parts times of the year. Going, it's it's like a holiday. It, it's not because work by day and then go at night and, and on the weekends catch, catch talent. And we did hear there was a very timely film. I would say. Did you get to Cinequest at all? I know you were really busy last week. I got down there for a bit. I did not see any films in theaters. I watched a couple of, of uh, screeners. We, do have screen- we did have screeners, yes. And, of course, the you know we just got to get it out there that Cinequest had to temporarily suspend uh, the festivities and will reschedule what, what we're calling – I think they're now officially calling it Cinequest SummerQuest or SummerFest. Cinequest SummerFest. Right. Right. will be in the last two weeks of August, in which the films uh, that had not yet made their debut uh, and those that maybe did, but they did, but they didn't get a chance to be shown. Most times, movies are shown three or four times throughout the festival, so as many people as possible get a chance to see them. Uh, they'll be that, coming back in August. That name as, might change, though, because um, at the uh, in August a, as well, there's a jazz fest. Jazz summer fest, right, yeah. right. So, yeah. I saw an email, and I think you're right that it may be. Who knows? But I know that the planning has begun, and that there'll be still some more surprises, and that's going to be great. It was just sad to kind of go like, "Oh, all right, you know, we had a good, we had a good week, we did." And one of the high points, uh, what I was going to say about going to to the movies, I, I got to sit down with uh, at SP two uh, by next to San Pedro Square in San Jose with the uh, writer actor Jenna Ling Adams and the and an actor and the director of this film Charlie Bueller of the film Before the Fire which I think was probably the only film I knew of that actually had an absolute full house I mean again it's we we have to acknowledge there's been some fear so attendance was down a little bit and the reason they had to suspend is because they just wanted to for public health safety reasons uh, you know, the, the, we're in Santa Clara County has said no one can, what did you tell me? The update is now no more than a hundred people, uh, 35, 35, much lower. So, you know, in some cities and in Santa Clara, they said nobody, no more than by last weekend was no more than 250. And I think that has been lowered. Uh, but if you say, uh, but when you think about a movie theater, yeah, you know, most of them uh, that Cinequest features at more than 250 but one film was indeed packed and it was this film before the fire there may have been others but this is the one i know i heard of anecdotally from many people and it is a film about the run-up to a pandemic in this case it is uh flu i did write a review of it last week or two weeks ago so you can find a review on before the fire but it turned out to be a very prescient film but they've had it in development for four years and I'm really ha- excited about sharing this interview because I think both Jenna Ling Adams as, as a screenwriter, not just as an actor, but as a screenwriter, that 
she's going to go places because this is a really well-written film. And uh, Charlie Bueller, after the interview, started telling me about the next project she's working on. And it was no offense to how much I enjoyed Before the Fire. I said, but I really want to see this next film. And I can't say what it is. But uh, she's developing a, a great film. And and just, they're, they're both two, two uh, young women who absolutely, absolutely feel like the, the future of Hollywood. So, Jenna Ling Adams and Charlie Bueller of Before the Fire. We're at SB2 for CineQuest, and sitting down with the creative minds behind, behind before, I keep wanting to say behind, like behind, a, the, like fire. behind the scenes, <laughs> before the fire, which, as you and I were just quickly chatting, uh, a, you know, when you conceived of this, was not quite as prescient and urgent as it is right now, but... Uh, please identify yourselves. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm Jenna Ling Adams. I'm the writer and lead actress in Before the Fire. I'm Charlie Bueller, and I'm the director. All right. So, listen, it is now, when I was watching last week, thinking, this is a really urgent film. Yes. So, but when you wrote it, that probably wasn't on your mind. Like, I want to warn society about what happens. No. No, there was a lot of, and we were talking about this earlier as well, there was a lot of projection when coming up with the concept of this, and, okay, what are we going to see? What's actually, in reality, going to be happening? And we had to, you know, Charlie's friend works for the CDC, and so we were asked, that's right, right? He said, yeah. Um, We were asking her questions on what would actually go down, like, airports closing, you know, flights closing, being canceled, and people taking temperatures before you're allowed to enter a building or, or, you know, go to a different town, and a lot of it was just what we think would happen, and now we're seeing a lot of it, you know, actually starting to head that direction, which is very eerie and interesting to watch. Yeah, and what I think is interesting about the approach is we've seen many horror films. I don't I don't qualify this as horror yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it was presented to me as sci-fi. <laughs> I wish. Uh, <laughs> but I've seen many horror films where we see the aftermath. Yeah. But the worst is yet to come. Not yeah. To, not to sound like horrible. Right. But, we, but we, in that yeah. story, the worst is yet to come. Yeah, we wanted to see the virus like encroaching on everyone. Um, encroaching on the small town and like what what realistically would actually go down with these people in the small town and, and really really the relationship really the the relationships and how it affects everyone in this community and um, not so much the big you know we have we have contagion it's out there we have the big picture we have that film but we don't have like the small town version of how these people survive and how they prepare for it and how they band together or you know how it pulls them apart. One of the things I thought about, I'm from South Dakota originally, and I remembered when we were first talking about this, when 9-11 happened, and for us, it felt so far away. Like, we were watching about everything on TV and on the radio, and of course, it impacted us, it impacted everyone, but when you looked outside, it was just a regular Tuesday morning, and it was beautiful, you know, a beautiful September day, and so I thought... You know, when you have these huge events happen, especially in the in the age of media, where of course everyone is affected and it's slowly creeping in, but at the same time the outside world looks very much the same. And so, I wanted to make a movie where these people are essentially on an island, and the problem is getting closer and closer and closer, and they're preparing for it, and the pressure is building, but you don't necessarily see it right away. 
And so it's it's and that's kind of how I feel right now, where it's like we we are seeing, you know, the virus on the news. We see how things are affecting China or in Italy. But at the same time, like we're sitting in a bar, no one's wearing face masks. It kind of feels like a normal night. And and to me, that that sort of that playing out is has been really interesting. Yeah. So. When you decided to write a film, I mean, was was it I want to tell this story, or was it I you know that you that you wanted to write a good role for yourself? Which yeah, you did. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was honestly the the concept of an actress going back to her hometown. I pulled from another script idea that was not a sci-fi. There was no virus, and then we were talking about what we have available. Like, okay, let's take all of these elements that we have, pull it all together. And it turned from, you know, an actress who went to her hometown to, like, shoot a movie to an actress who had, who had to leave Los Angeles and go back to her hometown to survive. And then everything that happens in South Dakota and was based on the locations that we have available, the characters that we set up. Everything was changing kind of as we were shooting. We had a script that was constantly evolving. We went in with a shooting script, and a lot of times, you know, after a 12, 14, 16-hour day, I would be up, like, rewriting the next day scenes because... Oh, this location fell through. Actually, we don't have that one prop or this one thing. Like, everything kind of shifts. Or, actually, this character is feeling a little bit more like this direction versus that direction. And we cut this scene, so we need that scene. So everything was evolving as we went, um, which I've never done before. But <laughs> it was very much working on our feet and figuring it out as we went. So Jenny and I did a short film together uh, about... It's been like six years, I think. Um, and I didn't realize that she was a writer at the time. Right? We ca- I casted her in the normal casting process. And after we finished, she approached me and she said, I'm a writer, I wrote this feature script. Will you read it? I love working with you and I really want to work with a, a woman director. And so I read it and it was really cool. And, um, and so, but it was very high concept. And so I said, you know, this movie is great, I love it, but it will cost millions of dollars to make. And so we can either wait to make this until someone will give us millions of dollars having never done anything, or we can make something in the meantime that's a little bit more contained, using resources that we know we have access to for free, and use that project as a springboard to be able to do bigger things. And so then, after we had that conversation, we sat down and we thought about all the things that we had. And so I said, we have a farm in South Dakota. Um, my dad, your family's It's my family farm. My my grand my dad's a hobby pilot and, and his friends are as well. So I was like, I think we can get airplanes, and we have relationships with the airports. So we can get an airport. My grandpa needed. To, and so in South Dakota, you don't when you want to destroy all these old houses from like the homesteading days, you don't bulldoze them. You just burn them down. And so my grandpa needed to burn down a house. And so I was like, cool. We need. He needs to get rid of this house. Let's yeah. Let's just film it. And uh, and so. Rather than sort of being paralyzed by all the obstacles that we had in the way, we thought about the things that we could do, and then we reverse engineered the script around that. And and so a lot of the decisions that we made were obviously intentional, but at the same time, they were also kind of like, what can we do, and then how do we make incorporate that into our story? And so you saw the National Guard. My mom tutored a National Guard guy who now is in a favor who has now become like a high in the national guard so she called in that favor she's like you pass math yeah now we need two <laughs> tanks you pass math I, <laughs> out of such and born. and so that's kind of how the movie evolved and it, i felt like the whole ta- process of it was very much 
an evolving thing where we didn't have the ability to like choose what we were going to do. What we were going to do kind of cho- chose us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we could do it. Yeah, I mean, originally the ending of the film was Ava lighting the fields on fire and trapping Jasper that way, and which also is a thing that happens on farm properties. And then Charlie was back in South Dakota and driving around with her grandpa, and then she called me and said, hey, he's got this house he needs to burn down. And I was like, oh, that's cool. So, yeah, then I immediately rewrote that scene to be a burning house. And, you know, it evolved many times after that, too, but... Um, yeah, we just kind of we found these like cool set pieces yeah. and, and locations. Yeah, that scenes in the trailer and that scenes on yeah. the poster, so it's not a spoiler to say. Oh, a yes. house burns. A house burns. It's called There's a fire. fire. It's called, it's called before, before the fire. The movie's about what happens before, before that the fire. fire. Crazy. And it's okay. It's okay. It's crazy. <laughs> and then uh, yeah, someone says rose yeah. and it's all over. Yeah. You did an interesting thing, uh, and I love these little touches. So I just wanted to, you know that your character is. I just got like like a CW supernatural yeah, actress. Yeah. But what I rarely see when people do that kind of character is you're not really good with guns yet and you're not really no. good at fighting. No. And like very self aware that those skills are yeah. there. So yeah. thank you for not writing the real person as the superwoman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yet. I mean that was important to me to have for Ava to have an arc throughout the entire film and I grew up in Minnesota. My dad's you know, he grew up on a farm. I was, you know, taught how to shoot guns growing up too. Like, but at the same time, me as me as an actor in LA, you put me back in that landscape. I'm still out of my element. That's not my world anymore. And so I wanted to see a girl who, a woman, I should say, that she goes back to her hometown, but it's not where she thrives. And, you know, and it's the not. Other touch was I didn't think that people were all that impressed by that role. No, no, and that's a, that's and that's also comes from like the world that you know I am into, where you have all these shows, and okay, maybe it's actually a bad show. It's a job. But it's a bad show. Yeah. yeah, it's like there's a lot of shows in there, and you're like, it's a paycheck, and you go and you do your thing and whatever, and you leave, but. You, you go back to your hometown, everyone's like, oh yeah, that, she's on that thing that she, did. you know, so you have to, I, I think it's nice to have a, a realistic touch like that where not every actor is this, you know, A-list celebrity that their yeah. hometown is like rallying behind. Like, what about this woman who's just like, she's a working actor, you know, and yeah. she has a taste of success, but that is taken away from her very quickly. And she has to be thrown back into everything that she tried to move behind. Yeah, I think we're like we're living through what happens when the convention circuit yeah. disappears yeah. because everybody. Has. <laughs> <laughs> so, because you brought up 9/11, so I'm assuming you were a kid, you know, yeah. and not knowing South Dakota, I remember the panic after after 9/11. I'm a bit older. Uh, when people were convinced that a terrorist attack was about to happen here. Right. You know, actually, most of California was very offended. It was like, we were convinced it was going to happen. So was that the same feeling in South Dakota? I feel like it was almost the opposite feeling. So, of course, my, my, I remember I was, I think I was about 11. And I remember my mom crying for three days straight. And so I knew something really bad had happened. But at the same time, we also knew that that we didn't ever feel like the terrorist attacks were going to happen in South Dakota because we were isolated. We were, I mean, we live in the middle of nowhere. And so we knew, we didn't feel like that it was directly going to affect us. We knew it was affecting our country and that was 
devastating. Yes. And even as a child, who I had never seen the World Trade Center buildings. I didn't know. I didn't know what they were until I saw them yeah. fall down in school. Um, and so I remember that that so that feeling of feeling like something is affecting you so profoundly, and knowing that it's going to affect you for a long time. And even as a child, I knew that was going to be something that was going to define us for a long time. But also feeling so far away from it. And so and to me, like that is the idea I wanted to explore, where you where you have this event that's happening but at the same time you're you're isolated and you don't really understand what's going on and and I had no concept of like I didn't know like sort of what the World Trade Center buildings were until I saw them on right, TV right. and um, and so I and so I wanted to feel that where I think now we consume so many things through the media and even more everything, so than we did feels yeah. More immediate, yeah. yeah everything yeah. feels so immediate but yeah. at the same time feels so far away but it's obviously affecting everyone like every, Everyone in this country is so intertwined in ways that I don't think that we even know, no matter how remote that we are. And um, and and so I, that that her experiencing things through the radios was something that I wanted us to see in the movie. Yeah, I like the like the radio broadcast and I was yeah. like, okay, yeah. Yeah. it's interesting. What have I actually heard in the last two days? Okay, I yeah. Know. Um, so then the question let's let's turn around to the more positive for the film itself. Yeah. The rest of Cinequest is. Postponed, rescheduled. How to, ironic! To, to, I, I know all my interviews today are like, and on this, you know, August. So, what can you say about what the future is for the film? Because I'm hoping other festivals are not rescheduled. So, yeah, you know. So, what's next? Well, we're supposed to be playing in Manchester this weekend on Saturday. Okay. So I'm supposed to be getting on a plane and flying to Manchester on Thursday. Manchester, England? Yeah, England and the UK. Yeah. So hopefully that happens. Uh, and I feel like because it is so timely right now, interest has spiked in ways that we couldn't have imagined. Yeah. Um, and so we're hoping that, you know, we'll be able to have it in, you know, distributed in ways that people... Everywhere you can see it. I would hope so too. Yeah. Like yeah. It could yeah. not be timelier, and the questions it raises. I, yeah. you know, that's, so thank you. Thank you for taking the time, and, thank you and so good much. luck with this film. Thank you. I realized the background noise was a, little, was a little high there, and I have no idea where the opera singer came from. I never saw him, I just <laughs> heard the voice. And <laughs> because in our time traveling way, Rick hasn't listened to that interview yet. <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> I swear that happens, and we, we all were like, what? Where? Where's that coming from? But that's what happens when you're in downtown San Jose on a Saturday night. Opera might break out. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk some comics news. Uh, I, I'm going to go a little broadly. That Not, to, not just Cinequest suspended. WonderCon is going to be rescheduled. That was my... What I was just looking forward to was the next big event uh, in April. The, the April 10th through 12th has now been suspended, and, and I'm calling it a suspension. They say rescheduling. They're saying sometime in in the fall they're going to work. the The San Diego Comic Con International is going to is going to work with the Anaheim Convention Center to hold it there uh, to hold it sometime in the fall. But you start. Hitting, running up against a lot of different conventions. Uh, not only do oh, you yeah. have the Los Angeles Comic oh, yeah. Con in October, so that goes. I mean, September. I, I don't know. There's, there's Midsummer Night Scream in August. Okay, that's that's okay. They don't have a D twenty three to worry about. It just does feel like this impact on on the convention industry 
Maybe it'll make people realize they can't do them all. <laughs> it, well, yeah, but you know, here's what I want to say. The impact, and this is why I'm going to try to put together this weekend for for Fanboy Planet, but I know others are doing it as well, is to kind of gather links for artists who go and, you know, for, for conventions, as much right. as you say you can't do them all, right. um, there are people who sell on Etsy or... Uh, you know, yeah. I, actually, I was just talking to my brother about this. Unfortunately, like my brother is a photographer, and he just had a show canceled in in New York. But he gets sold through galleries. So I said, "Well, shoot me a, a gallery link or something, just so that maybe one person will look because they wouldn't have. They might have been going to a show, or they might not have thought about it. You know, and, and I've made a commitment when I go to conventions." Uh, though I'm, run, I'm run, running out of wall space, is like there are all these artists I, whose work I love that are independent artists. Sometimes they're comic book artists, but sometimes they're just great, like Karen Hallian. I love Karen Hallian. Well, Emerald City Comic Con just got canceled two weeks ago. So right. uh, I know a bunch of artists that were that were going and hoping, to, you know, they paid money and, and were counting on being able to sell prints. So um, Actually, if you know of, of any... If you go on Facebook and in the upper banner, the search box, you type virtual convention, there are a number. There's one going on right now as we speak called WannaCon, a virtual comic convention that was, I think, one of the publishers decided since they couldn't go to WonderCon, they were going to have an online virtual convention. And there's, um, let's see, January 2020 virtual doll convention. Like, virtual doll convention yeah no that scares me okay but uh so but, but i do want to you know but I, along I, the I, same I, along the same lines uh we have a bunch of uh of friends who were traveling to canada uh montreal i think uh for costume con 38 yeah i saw that yeah and some of them got the notification that it had been canceled while they were waiting in line to get on the plane some didn't get it didn't get the notification until they landed it's like nuts. Yeah, no, I I, I know. So I, again, this but is the a idea. Time. The idea of of a of a of a showcase of links to all those artists that's that's phenomenal. That that should happen. I know that the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund is doing a couple of things like that, and I know um, you know Dark Delicacies is is setting that up on their Facebook page as well. Now they're a little more horror oriented, oriented, but I know that there are artists you know that that. I'm friends with that are like, yeah, this was going to be a big deal. So I, you know, I just like to create something. And if you are someone who runs a blog or a Facebook page, I'd say set it up. Cause I don't feel like, you know, obviously it wasn't my idea and I feel no ownership about it. All I want to make sure is that artists get, could, could potentially get their work out there to people who would have ordinarily gone to a convention and bought it. You know, I, I always buy a print. Well, okay. In some ways, Yes, I could save some money, uh, you know, in the next couple of months. That, that's greater for my pocketbook, I suppose. Who has a pocketbook? Okay, you know, greater for my wallet. But uh, but it's still no, you know. There, the, there's there's people whose work I admire that, and you admire, and 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 if you're listening, people whose work you admire that you know you might have been looking forward to get that print. Well, you still can, yeah. you know. So let's find a way to do that. So there we go. Uh, but this also meant South by Southwest was canceled, and and I know it's not comics, but 
E3. Yeah. Out and out canceled as well. You know, so that's interesting. I mean, the, the last thing I read was that everyone uh, who had tickets uh, would be able to get in next year. It was like a credit for next year. And that makes me think, well, what what happens to those who want to get tickets for next year? <laughs> you know, if, it, if it was like a, I assume E3 always sells out. Um, I don't so, know. I don't know. I, well, I don't know because the only time I realized the only time I went in was as press, and it wasn't open to the public then. Yeah. So it's a, it's a big convention. I don't, you know, yeah. It, yeah, I, I don't know, but it, but it, it, it's interesting. I think that in every section of news, we're going to have something that touches upon this in terms of what's happening in in the world is maybe reshaping, reprogramming, if you will, what, as you say, well, you don't have to do everything. Well, okay, maybe you don't have to do anything if everything is virtual. Well, this this is an interesting thing because, so I'm a Microsoft MVP. I'm, a, I'm, I'm one of the people that they talk to about products. And there are thousands of these, of MVPs throughout the world for all the different products that Microsoft does. Right, e- right. Every year um, in March... They have a a uh, summit, a MVP summit, and all the MVPs around the world are invited, but they all can't come. You know, still get thousands of people coming to uh, coming to that. Mm-hmm. Well, it got canceled this year, obviously, and they scrambled. And starting on Monday, the virtual MVP conference, the summit is happening, and we've this week we've got a bunch of test links to make sure that our machines are all ready so that we can do the streaming of everything and mm-hmm. they've been sending out the schedule for it and this is actually a good thing for the people who wouldn't have been able to go either because it's an expensive thing to do to fly from wherever you are in the world to to uh to seattle um not to not not the least of which is uh you know, travel and hotel and some of your own food and stuff. But it's also some people just can't afford to take the time off work. So, so now that you have a virtual conference, there's, there's talk about, even if they go back to doing the live conference next year, they may have some of it available virtually, which has been a big stumbling block, especially since at this thing, we get exposure to stuff under NDA and stuff. But it's, I think there's been a lot of a lot of that movement it used to be that you know everybody went to uh uh um CES right and i don't think apple's gone to CES for a long time because they decided well, they were getting their message out through the internet and they didn't need to have a big booth well but they still had their own you know this is the other thing i i've seen it's like what happens with comic con and and once Disney started D23 as a real force. Yeah. Any year that D23 happens in, in Anaheim, there's not a big Disney presence at, at Comic-Con, because right. why should it be? Right. But, it, but it, yeah, it is interesting. It makes sense to me that, like, Microsoft would be virtual. It makes sense to me that Apple, you're right, which everything is is about that. I mean, I know that they still have their their big keynotes and so forth, uh, you know, in their own, I don't even know what they call it because it's I, the I Apple developer products. conference, but that's the, the yeah, whatever uh, the DC is I, uh, I, f- just for developers. I read the, I read the uh, CNN headline after the things get announced and then I decide if I'm going to buy anything, you know, I don't need to be there, but that's not, 
Right. But then I'm the idiot going to every Comic-Con I possibly can and going, I was there when they said it. So, you know, it's it, it's interesting because I feel like, back to Comic-Con, to say, like, when, when uh, Lionsgate was teamed with Comic-Con International for Comic-Con HQ, this would have been the time. Although, I, I don't know, like, what's going to happen when we see, like, sporting events played to an empty stadium, but you're still watching it on TV because most people do anyway. You know, would a panel have been, you know, the flaw in Comic-Con HQ, which no longer exists, is they weren't streaming panels live. You weren't having access to the ones that you wanted to see. You go to last year's, you know, you can see the previous year's stuff. And so, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. I think we're, we're, we're shaking out and I think it's going to come back. You offered an intriguing thing that I want to talk about later with with movies and TV. So let's but let's talk about a book that's actually coming out, which you can buy digitally if you don't want to go to a comic shop. Okay, and that is in June. Gene Luen Yang, local boy, uh, you know, California Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area author. Uh, of course, I'm staring right now at, at his uh, Boxers and Saints and uh, American Born Chinese, uh, but currently writer of of the Avatar book from Dark Horse, and uh, he wrote new Superman for DC. He's writing Superman versus the Ku Klux versus the KKK right. with D, for DC. That, um, that finished. That's just, all done. That, that did finish. Oh, you know what it is? Is the movie's ramping up. The, that, ah. that docudrama that they were talking about, I just got an email about that, which I need to run a piece this weekend. Um, so... He is going to write for Marvel, and I think this is the first time that he has written for Marvel, and a book that I know you're going to put on your pull list. Oh, yeah. And that is Shang-Chi with artist Dyke Ruin, or maybe DK Ruin. I, 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 Ruan, I, I'm not sure. Uh, correct me politely on my mispronunciation, a name I've never heard out loud. And Philip Tan uh, on Inks. And so that's coming in June. Perfect timing, of course, because, you know, with the movie... Uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings coming uh, that I they're, they're calling it a series. I hope it is. You know, I'm always a little uh, leery on any new series getting announced now from either Marvel or DC because I'm like, all right, how is the big crossover going to ruin my enjoyment of this book? I don't know what the next big crossover is, but yeah. I'm hoping Shang-Chi is after it. Um, I did love that one shot they did was it last year um, when they were doing, like, was it Legends? Something like that, where there were, like, five books that were, like, Legacy or something. Yeah. See, yeah. I can't remember. I'm clearly I'm clearly old and tired, and I've seen it all, and I've seen every variation on Legacy and Legends and, and Crisis and so forth. So, eh, all right. Well, it was Which like... reminds me, I never thought I'd, I'd live long enough to see this book. Uh Jeff Johns and Jason Fabok announced, I believe, sometime back in the 20th century. No, I'm kidding. It was right after the Dark Side War uh, with Jason Fabok and Jeff Johns actually worked on for Justice League. Uh, Batman Three Jokers is finally, finally coming in June. But it's going to be a black label book, which again, with all the turmoil that DC has been undergoing in the past couple of weeks editorially um i don't know if being on black label means that this counts as continuity or not or if it's just oh what an interesting story at one point batman sat in the mobius chair 
in uh, in Justice League: The Dark Side War, and the Mobius chair told him the one question he wanted to know was, you know, who is the Joker? And it said there are three. So we've been teased that for years, and it has finally come out. It will finally come out in June. It is six ninety nine for a black label book, but they've started doing black label books regular size. You yes. know, they were oversized, more yes. European album, and I we'll, we'll get to something. that. We'll get to that in one. What's in the bag? Oh, okay, great. Well, let's do it then. Hey, what's in the bag at this moment? I know there's at least one listener singing his own theme song. <laughs> more. I that wanted later. to give it a little pause, and <laughs> and we are going to have that listener come in, or the one that I know of. Oh gosh, should we ask auditions? Kevin Smith's podcast. Anyway, uh, we'll have that person live soon. All right, so, hey, what's in the bag? We've missed a few weeks, um, so let's do catch-up last week and this week. So what's – or or just two. I'm just going by last week. So I actually have one which goes into another one, which is – I want to cover as one all by itself, and then I've got a, a second one. So – so let me do these first two, and then you do, and then I'll come back. Yeah, Rick the cheater. All right, no, I'm cheating. Um, so the the first one is the book you were just one of the books you were just mentioning. Mentioning it's a black label, but in a standard size comic. The price on it is, uh, oh, what is the price on it? I'd like to know. Yeah, I, I just that's one I picked up. You know, I just yeah, it's five dollars. Um, it's the first of 12, uh, at the top, it says amazing science fiction with a question mark on the fiction, strange adventures. Oh, I almost picked that. That's the one I bought. You're right. Thank you. Yeah. And, and this is Tom King and Mitch Garage doing again what they did with Mr. Miracle, which is, uh, absolutely fresh and crazy new styles of storytelling where you'll have repeated imagery. You'll have a pullback more of the camera in another scene, which changes stuff. Um, you have a character who you think you've known all this time and maybe you don't, but he's still well, trying, you know, still trying to do I don't want to call it fresh and crazy new um, because it is exactly what he did with that. With, with, with Mr. I Miracle. I think it's not, and don't get me wrong. It's and not. It with the vision. It's not as psychedelic as Mister Miracle. I, oh, it, that was it, very psychedelic. All right. It, okay. it reads. It reads much straighter. I'm not. I'm not doubting reality with every other panel in this. There is. There is doubt of reality in here, but um, you have some. You have some very grounding scenes that make you say, "This is not going to be like the Mister Miracle book," which was almost like. Uh, mythological allegory, right? Yeah, yeah. I, so yeah, I don't, I don't think this is doubting reality. It's doubt, doubting the subjectivity, right? Uh, and, and I loved this book. Don't get me wrong. No, Batman I summed up great when he when Batman's line summed. Up, I'm not going to spoil that, but there's no, please don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I did read it, but I but readers should just yeah. experience for so themselves. My comment about this it leads into the the point two book is this is a black label comic why is it a black label comic it's not because it's thicker it's not because um it's any 
better produced than any other comic, but it has one panel on the third page, which is a uh, a sexual scene that could have been on late night television. And then it has a fairly graphic, uh, really the results of a violent act um, about halfway mm-hmm. through. And those are the only two reasons why this is Black Label, aside from the fact that it's not something a kid is going to read and go, oh, great, Adam Strange. Um, well, but- I, have to, I have to look and see if Mr. Miracle has been recast as Black Label. Because they, oh, interesting. They at did one just point, I think that was, novel. they yeah. did just re-release it. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm not sure. So what I wanted to, what I wanted to also talk about with respect to that kind of like, Hey kids, nudity, don't let your parents see it, but buy this book, um, is a new book from a blaze. It's issue one of Robert E. Howard's savage hero uncensored. And they just call him the Sumerian above in bigger print queen of the black coast. And this is, um, it is a lovely painted art style. Um, it is, uh, one of the better, uh, art Robert E. Howard stories. Um, but it's not, it's not really, uh, something that I would, I would go out of my way to, I'm not going to continue buying it. I've, I've read the story. I've, I've seen Marvel's adaptation of the story. Um, the fact that they've got some softcore porn in here as well. I'm not all that excited. Uh, and, but on its, on the, on the upside of it, it's only a three ninety nine book. So, but anyway, <laughs> the, uh, the, the sex, the sex sell stuff with black label. Now I didn't, I haven't, the in uh, in the Harlequin Harleen was it Harleen the the Harleen. black label there, I Harleen. know there have been many Harlequin black label books yeah. yeah so the Harleen book had a lot of suggested stuff but there wasn't really that much um, now I haven't read the third issue so I can't really say that but it wasn't what I was expecting given the uh, the the first black label book which kind of went out of its way to kind of push um, some Stuff. Well, Batman damned, yes. You know, yeah. and, and and there was that big controversy there with the, as, as, as pejoratively called, the Batawang, which right. is, was airbrushed out. And, you know, the, that's the thing. It's like, I, I didn't really, the, with the Tom King, with, with Strange Adventures, that, that, that panel you refer to didn't take me out of it. No. I was, you know, that's different, whereas... I think with Batman Damned, which was a good book, and uh, if you get that hardcover, it's still a good book. And I, I, I bought it as a hardcover; it was beautiful. But we didn't need it, you know. Right. I, at the risk of sounding like my parents, we we didn't need it. You it know, didn't, it, it didn't do it, anything for it, the it was storytelling. Just a no, yeah, no. So my choice for last week in my ba- in last week's bag was. As I said, what who may possibly be my my new favorite uh, writer, but the it's actually the creative team behind the DC Flintstones uh, twelve issue revival, which is so much better than it had a right to be. Uh, Mark Russell and Steve Pugh have reteamed for a book called Billionaire Island, and 
uh, it is so far from satire. I mean, it's satire, but so like disturbingly, hmm, um, this feels so possible. Uh, like a decade in the future, and the haves are uh, just deciding that they're going to ride out the apocalypse or you know the destruction, um, and that there's this big conspiracy to discover where is billionaire island and the truth of billionaire island where where only the the most elite it's a funnier version of what i think greg rucka and michael lark were doing with uh lazarus but more of like most of the world is is unaware of how bad things really are in this in this story and it it is funny and he takes a turn in the in the second half of the first issue where i'm like oh that is so ridiculous thank heavens that you made this seem unbelievable for just a second because the first 10 pages felt really <laughs> like this is happening somewhere in the world it was funny but it was still happening somewhere in the world so billionaire island from ahoy comics uh and uh, this is again I, mean, I love steve Pugh's art and i i can hardly it was one of those again i read the first issue and went i kind of wish i could have had the patience to wait to get the trade paperback because because i immediately want the second issue I want to know what's going to happen next. So that's that's point. one of you can still find it on your stands. Yeah. So this week, my well, I didn't read anything this week, so this is going back another week. So, uh, okay. But I wanted to talk about this one because I'm really happy with the latest American Mythology Productions Edgar Rice Burroughs Universe book, Realm of the Dead. It's the first of three issues, and uh, let's see who it's uh, Mike Wolfer. And Cyrus Messarcia, M E S S A R C I A. Um, and it's actually it says it's continuing the the story begun on fear of fear of fourth world fear on four worlds, which was a four issue series that came out and it kind of spotlighted a bunch of the different Edgar Rice Burroughs. This is. Uh, three issues just with Carson Avinas, um, who Carson Avinas actually is one of my favorite, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs characters. Cause he's, I, I, I think that he's not quite as predictable as John Carter and to an extent Tarzan. Although when you read the Tarzan books, Tarzan is a very complex character with a lot of backstory. And, um, but Carson, uh, Carson's always been one of my, one of my favorites. The, I've not been head over heels for the art in a lot of the American mythology productions. This is very good art. And in some time, some parts of it actually remind me, um, partially because there is a zombie like character in this. Um, but it's reminding me, the art reminds me of like the best of the Sal Basima books, from like the seventies um, and eighties, and especially the mean, horror. Do you mean Sal or John? Um, I think I mean Sal. Um, okay, yeah. Um, I like them both. I just think John I, I, is I do. I, I think Sal more did more of the guy. zombie stuff. Um, oh, maybe, maybe. Okay, yeah. And there is in this there is an element from Edgar Rice Burroughs storytelling where he has the noble monster. And you get the noble monster most prominently in in um, John Carter Mars because you have Tars Tarkas, 
who is who we we forget how monstrous he is because Tars Tarkas has been uh, Tonto to John Carter's Lone Ranger for so long um, in in storytelling, but the the noble monster. I give credit that, to the movie because I do hear Willem Dafoe's voice. Yes, Tars Tarkas now. Forever, yes, so. So you have a, a big element of that, and it, it actually makes this story uh, because you have uh, a, a more complex relationship be, between John Carter and this this misfit monster who is, in fact, uh, a hero. And I'm looking forward to the next two issues of Realm of the Dead, Carson of Venus. Okay. Mine is, uh, this is, uh, I, I think I, I don't know if I said talked about it on the podcast, I just knew I was going to love this because this is, again, one of my favorite authors. Uh, author, period. Um, writer, I guess, because he's written for television and uh, and he's uh, writing novels now. Alan Brennert uh, is Marvel, uh, Marvel's celebration of the series Marvels. Uh, Alex oh. Ross has been curating snaps, Marvel's snapshots. So there'll be little things told from the uh, common person's, ordinary person's point of view uh, at various points in Marvel's history. And this is Marvel's snapshots, Submariner, Alan Brenner, and Jerry Ordway. Could it get and could it get, get any better? There's uh, Espen Grundet Jean is the color art, colorist, and Travis Lanham is the letterer. Want to give credit. And Alex Ross, of course, did the main covers. So he's painting these covers. But this is, one, I love Jerry Ordway's art anyway, but I'm a sucker for a good golden age story, either DC or Marvel or really any hero, anything set in the 40s. But this, something that I don't know that I've ever read a story uh, about, Namor having come back from World War II Uh and suffering from... What we, you know, they called then combat fatigue. Right. And um, having post-traumatic stress about having discovered the, uh, been the first of the, of the invaders, as their super team was, to discover, uh, con- uh, I don't think it's said Dachau, um, but one of the concentration camps. Yes. What, one of the final solution camps. And so... Um, what had, what, you know, always a tricky character in the first place, as they point out, when he first appeared in Marvel Comics, he was really kind of this weird villain, uh, and Betty Dean was the one who kind of calmed him down, and so it's sold from her point of view, and it's a, and as uh, my friend, Car- our friend, Car D'Angelo, had pointed out, like with Alan Brennard's work, uh, through it's not there's not that very much of it in comics but there's always this element of saying goodbye to something a final a final feeling of something and he has he did write my and I always bring it up my absolute favorite batman story which is to kill a legend about batman of earth 1 going to a new uh, to try to stop the cycle of of a new uh, of the Waynes being killed again in another in another time period, and this is kind of the same thing. It's Betty Dean coming to grips with well, the war has ended. The glamour of being 
associated with the Submariner, and you see that the Submar- this is that maybe this key moment of the Submariner uh, hated the Nazis more than anybody else. Um, and, you know, again, sort of this key to how did you get from Submariner of the Invaders to the Submariner who showed up in Fantastic Four number number four. Yeah. You know, um, the, the guy who, who immediately declared war on the surface world again. You know, because Stan Lee wanted to portray, and, and Jack Kirby wanted to portray him again as the villain. Um, did, so, did you, you know, did you actually read the Invaders book, the most recent one? Uh, I read the first arc. Yes. Okay. And because I thought I thought that was dealing with a lot of similar issues from the standpoint they're, of yeah, war. they're making it complicated. I just yeah. this again being from Betty's point of view. Yeah. And and the acceptance there, well, but the Marvel's, also the Marvel's take on it. Yeah. Because it takes place at Pacific Palisades. Which are not Pacific Palisades, but the New Jersey Palisades, which to me is like, by the time I knew what that park was, it was gone. You know, it was always in the ad, back of the ads, the yes. ads in the back of DC Comics. Yes, and you know, to even see a story set there is just like, oh, the flood of nostalgia. But also, again, you just cannot. I, Jerry Ordway is one of the best artists who ever worked in comics. You know, and and it's just I I I love. Ordway's work so this was uh, above and beyond I was also going to go with the Nate Costa memorial you know walking dead pick of saying immortal Hulk but really I thought about it went no it's snapshots this is a one shot you don't need to get involved in a series although if the rest of these snapshots are anywhere near as good as this book is you'll want it you'll want them so there's that let us uh, let's go to movies and Pardon me for a moment. Is my Evernote shut down? Uh, now it, no, it still wants to shut down. Uh, okay. We were talking about Jean Luen Yang doing um, do, doing Shang-Chi, and this week, photos came from Shang-Chi. I had not even really, like, I guess because I was so busy with many other things and Cinequest and so forth that Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings had started production. They released really set photos. And then production shut down because the director, Destin Daniel Cretton, has gone into self-isolation because he believes he may have COVID-19. So uh, he's got a test. So it, it will be at least two weeks. I mean, this is the, you know, this is in the larger scheme of things, this is a minor impact. Yeah. But we are going to see not just the sports world, but the entertainment world. And obviously, concerts have been scheduled, but but the pipeline of new content, new material, uh, the the Falcon, the Winter Soldier, had to suspend filming as well uh, because it was in an area where they, they in Europe where they felt it was it was just not prudent to to continue shooting for the moment. They had to wait for it to pass, so a few things might have been delayed. Uh, and and there's one, and so we say that these movies have. Uh, so far, we know these have blinked, if you will. Uh, Mulan was supposed to come out at the end of March. It is now not going to be. It's, I just got an email tonight saying, oh, there was a screening scheduled, but we don't know where Mulan's going to go on the, on, the, on the schedule now. Uh, New Mutants has been delayed again, which, of course, who didn't see that coming? Because New Mutants will never come out anyway. Um, 
and No Time to Die. I don't think we got a chance to talk about that. Right. That No Time to Die had blinked. Sal Pizarro was so sad because he was saying, "Like you're going to have me on the podcast, right?" And I, so I think it was during Cinequest when that got announced. And I said, "Yes, Sal," in November. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, now, um, he was very sad because he was telling me about all his plans to go to the marathon and to watch all the Daniel Craig films. So so these three, and it was kind of funny on Saturday Night Live last week when Daniel Craig hosted and said, well, I, you know, it was clear. He was hosting because it was to promo No Time to Die, and now, you know. He was so, so awesome on Saturday Night Live. Oh, he was very good. It was very good. I, 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 I really liked that episode, but... Um, Black Widow, so far, is sticking to its release date of May 1st, but I'm going to emphasize so far. So we're going to transition to TV because I think this is where, as I was just saying, like going to conventions, you start realizing you could do that virtually. Well, I, some people, and I I understand, some people are, a lot of comic shops are, by the way, like doing delivery systems. Or uh, the Isotope Lounge up in San Francisco is saying if you have a compromised immune system and you're concerned about going out in public right now, but you got to cut your comics, you can call and make appointments to come by after hours. And he's staying uh -huh. open so that you can come by on an appointment basis and walk into the store and pick up your books if that would help. But I'm going to bet you that a lot of sales are going to start going digital because... You know, that's, that might be, a, you know, again, it's just easier. So we'll see. But then that, that that begs the question, too. Back in August in D23, when they announced all this Disney Plus content and the, the Mandalorian got its, got its best trailer and, and we saw the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and they brought out cast from, from WandaVision and Loki and... Uh, there was mention of Hawkeye somewhere down the road, and we know She-Hulk got announced. When all these TV series, which are being produced by Marvel Studios, not Marvel Television, that was when I was like, yeah, the death knell just sounded for Marvel Television as a separate uh, division. It's all going to be run by Kevin Feige, which then a month later, Kevin Feige took over all of Marvel creative content. It, and we've just had Bob Iger step down as CEO to become executive chairman and say that he was focusing on content. My prediction back then was, by all these TV series having to be part of the extended Marvel Cinematic Universe, the line between the movies and the television were going to blur. Yeah. And if you can't, if people, and I don't know, I think we're still seeing, it's going to be a couple of weeks before we truly see the impact on movie theaters. Um, but one of the things that says like onward last weekend for Pixar was the top movie in the country, but its opening was disappointing because people didn't go to the movie theater. So if you can't release these other movies and, and the thing I think with studio releases is they're all jockeying to see where they fit in a schedule. So they're not stealing too badly from each other, especially with all Disney product. When you yeah. cut, you know, uh, Mulan there being, where's the slot for Mulan to do well again in 2020? I don't know. But as you pointed out to me, what was the, the movie you were saying first was, what would it take for Black Widow, I think? Right, was that, Black that Widow. It? That if Black Widow went to Disney+, Plus, 
if suddenly one of the criticisms right now of Disney Plus in the media in in, in the in the media is that once you had the big splash of the Mandalorian, they haven't had that much content for adults to watch. Right. Since as we're waiting for there's Jeff Falcon Goldblum. The- there's there's some things that are. Yeah, I, I do think it's a short sighted like, but they haven't had the thing that cut. The other thing is lightning in a bottle with the Mandalorian, right? right. You know, right. once you had the child and the entire. I don't think there was anybody who didn't know who the child was, even if they didn't care. Um, right. You know, it, it, it seeped into the consciousness in a way that few things have in the last couple of years. So, but if that's, if there really is a, a, a perception of, there really hasn't been a high profile, like they came out with a, there was a, a Christmas movie, they had the Lady and the Tramp adaptation. Right. They've been releasing but, but I realize there's a Willem Dafoe movie. Kono, Kono. There's a, a, a man against man in nature film. I didn't even realize that was new, and it was on Disney Plus. And I thought, oh, you know, now that I realize, oh, they they did it for Disney Plus for me to watch, and it's Willem Dafoe. I might watch it, but you know, I didn't even know. So now. Well, like Mulan, there's a lot of anticipation for Mulan. If you're concerned about dropping subscribers, but you suddenly say, you know what, there's no room in 2020 to release Mulan, it's going to Disney+. Plus. Bob Iger yeah. has, has hinted that he thinks that that you know it's that the Disney+, Plus is the future of the company. Well, you drop Mulan. You drop Black Widow in there. And because who knows when we are going to be told, you know, you can, the, when we're lifting the cap, I hope sooner than later, every, you know, but, but E3, as we pointed out, is in June and couldn't count on, on things being right. somewhat back to normal in time right. for that. Right. So Disney already has this huge outlet. I wouldn't be surprised. Now, New Mutants might not fit because if it's PG thirteen, well, maybe you drop New Mutants on Disney Plus. I'm making the time. Yeah, I think that one of the things you, that Disney Plus hasn't got a model for right now, but could it would be that if it's not if it's if you do a release of a motion picture that could eventually show up in a theater. Um, so you still have this kind of prestige product. Maybe you put something in there where you have to you have to buy the download. You know that you have to you have to a pony up an extra four bucks to watch it tonight. Well, and, you know, and, and you and I were talking about this, and I, is that okay? Even if I have, uh, I I think about this. Well, I, AMC has their. I'm the premiere, but I didn't go to the signature. The premiere just gives right. you a discount on sessions right or tuesdays for six bucks or something like that and there is they do have one of those programs where you can go three times a week if you pay pay a certain flat rate well i'm already doing that with a streaming service yeah so but the, but i do tend to go and then it's like oh i just you know i worked late and i and i just went and then like okay i'll get popcorn for dinner whatever is if i take my kid to go or or Stephanie and I go to the movies 
And in LA, we're, we're near Universal, uh, the AMC, and a, a night out of the movies is fifty bucks. But I'm but I'm paying, as you just said, four bucks, and that's it. And I can have microwave popcorn or cook dinner, and we watch it. That's a that's a deal, and yeah. you've already got me. So I'm not saying this is what's going to happen. I, and I don't think you were saying it either, but it was an intriguing, an intriguing point. And I think the shift is, you know, again, we might be at an inflection point of we we rethink what we're doing for our leisure time. And, you know, you may get again to the point of, you know, Onward could show up there sooner than later. Maybe Soul, the next Pixar film, which looks really good, might end up being direct to Disney Plus and and... Reality, as you pointed out, if you're someone who already has an Oculus Quest and you can wear wear that, that headset on and then you network up with your friends and even if you paid four bucks a, a person to watch in your own room, but you're, uh, your own living room and you're still communicating back and forth or you have a 65-inch or 70-inch screen and you're only how many feet away on your couch, yeah. is it that much different? It's a, it's a lot cheaper once you've had that hardware outlay, and and those screens are coming down, you know, in in price. So I don't know. I think we're it'd be interesting. And yet, then I'm going to turn to DC because uh, there is the thing that has proven that TV can hold my attention, which is that the Arrowverse has its annual crossover, and I would say that's the one time a year I watch every single one of those Arrowverse shows uh-huh. on the CW. And Mark Guggenheim has teased he knows what next year's crossover is. They finished Crisis on Infinite Earth. They didn't say what was coming next. But I'm going to guess that they'll do something from, uh, with at least use a comic book title. So probably what would you like to put the bet down for now? Oh man. Uh, I might, I might kind of go to not a, not a big event, but a kind of a, a, a big introduction to the Arrowverse, since you've got Constantine in it already. Um, introduce mm-hmm. the rest of Justice League Dark, because they haven't got uh, a f- they haven't got a live action film series. They well, but J.J. Part- Abrams is developing that. Oh, he supposedly is he? he's he's okay. got Guillermo del Toro's script. Ah. Uh, as so bad robot is, but it does mean they wouldn't because yeah. at this point, Matt, what was his last name? Oh my gosh, Hawkins? No, um, somebody go ahead and be mad at me. Um, and and tell me was, I like him. Um, the guy that's played Constantine has voiced him for every animated project. Has played him in two different, se- three different series because technically Constantine did show up on Arrow first before he joined the Legends and. You know that he. That it's like it's at this. You're not. I don't want to see Keanu Reeves <laughs> as the film Constantine. Um, no. You know. Again, I just like him to walk through all the worlds and and be there. I would love an opportunity for Derek Mears to show back up as Swamp Thing. I'd like as much as I enjoyed the care the, the the series. I would like a better Phantom Stranger than the one they they that they did. I'd like one more in 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 line with it, but it sees a Tana. I, I'm with you, but I'm, I'm thinking there are two titles that would not necessarily me, mean a crossover as large 
uh, once you've done Crisis on Infinite Earths, I wouldn't want to do Infinite Crisis or no. you know yeah. anything like that. But I could say you could pull Zero Hour. You could mm-hmm. pull, and they wouldn't have to be actually the same story. It's just there it is something with time, and you've got the legends, and it'd be funny after all these years of the legends saying no crossovers that the crossover would be about them. Um, or you could do Identity Crisis. Yeah, Identity Crisis is kind of dark, though. No, no, no. But look, the Crisis on Earth X was not the same. Right, and right, the Elseworlds right. was not the same. So you could do, you could take the title Identity Crisis and do something without going as yeah. dark as Brad Meltzer's original work. Yeah. So, you know, otherwise I'm thinking of other crossovers. And I'm going, eh, Millennium, already, you know, we're way past the Millennium. So uh, it, it just, it's uh, fun to speculate. We don't know, as always, no wagering, unless you want to. But uh, but at least something to look forward to for, for next season uh, on the Arrowverse, and i got to catch up on more things, you know, and, and, and uh, we shall see. So that's all I've got this week. We wanted to kind of, you know, I, I know they'll spend some time with that interview. We'll have more CineQuest interviews in the weeks ahead, and thank you for listening because I know there are a lot of pop culture choices to make, and you chose this one. So... We appreciate that. And, of course, if you've got any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. I'm Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of fanboyplanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use use your your powers powers for for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.